A new year is a new chance to focus on you. You're probably already picturing yourself struggling at the gym, but not all self-help has to mean suffering. Squeeze.com is making it easier than ever to elevate your wellness by delivering a juice cleanse right to your doorstep. It's the easiest juice cleanse you'll ever do that may aid in weight loss, eliminating bloating, clearing your skin, boosting your energy levels, improving sleep, and breaking bad eating habits. Meet all your health goals from the comfort of your home. Get free same-day local delivery or fast free delivery nationwide with code WONDERY today at squeezed.com. Hi, everyone. It's Raghu with Mind Rolling. We're back, and I'm back with Conda Mason, who is new to the podcast, uh, but won't be for very long. Conda, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you. Conda, I met through Jack Cornfield, and uh, Conda teaches at Spirit Rock, which uh, is what the uh, trio of Vipassana family folks started a long time ago. And, and it also, of course, includes IMS in Massachusetts, where Joseph Goldstein and Sharon are more located. Uh, and uh, you know what, Conda? As I went through and did a little bit of homework in terms yeah. of looking at all the different things you do, oh my God, you are a renaissance woman if i ever ever saw one i mean i didn't know you were actually an audio engineer right <laughs> you were I did audio i took yeah. audio yes i did yes. i took audio back in the day but that was back when it was analog yeah <laughs> okay it sounded I, better right yes it actually did we had tapes and we actually spliced tapes <laughs> yeah, yeah, right uh and a filmmaker you yeah. did a uh, yeah. you, you've done that as well yeah and uh yoga you have taught yoga right yeah I'm and a, not I'm just teacher yeah yeah and not which i loved hearing about by the way not just the asana practice yoga yeah. in its true depth and yeah. breath right yeah yeah so you've done that. I hope uh, so. Uh, you've you started uh, Impact Hub in Oakland, which I want you to uh, just tell us a little bit about that because that that's really far-reaching. That work that you did. Yeah, it's a beautiful space. It's a physical space. Um, you know, brick and mortar space. Um, an old car dealership. Two of them that we opened up and made this incredibly beautiful fifteen thousand square foot space in downtown Oakland, right in the heart of Oakland. And it's a space for the movement to change the world, really. That's what I think of it as. It's like Oakland is already that movement. And then we're the home of where that movement lives. And so a lot of entrepreneurs, nonprofits, for-profit people who are really doing wonderful projects and we're the space where people convene and where they work out of. And it's called Impact Hub Oakland. And it's, it's quite a force. Mm, it's incredible work, actually. So you see all of these many, many uh, paths that Conda has mm. taken and assimilated, and none the least of which is, of course, uh, her Dharma teaching and her 
you know, wonderful uh, initiatives around inclusion, which is highly, highly important in this age of polarity and exclusion. <laughs> so, mm. yeah. yeah. Um, but you know what? Mm. Here's something for you that in terms of if somebody says to me, okay, well, who is Kanta? And I'm going to say, and this I picked up somewhere, she's a manifestation and recipient of unconditional love. Oh, yeah. That's the number one. <laughs> that's the number that, one. That's number one. You know, yeah. when anybody asks me to introduce myself, I have to go back to my family. Mm. It's the first place where I began, like all of us, and I was really fortunate. And uh, whatever the good karma was that brought me into my family, um, I I was loved my whole life, and I knew mm. it. And we have the most amazing family. And and brothers and sisters, I'm the youngest of four. And um, and, um, and 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 truthfully, two of them have passed away. Um, my brothers are gone. It's just me and my sister. And you might even hear her in the background. We live together, but um, we were loved. And I am the recipient of love. I learned how to love. And I'm, that's what I'm about. Mm. Yeah. You know, I say this often, quote, His Holiness the Dalai Lama, that we will, and I'm using some of my own translation here, but we will be saved in the future by mothers who have unconditionality in their love and compassion. And that is what's going to be passed on. And as that's passed on, we... Yeah. Uh, that is going to be the basis of, of a transformation, which yeah. needs, needs to happen. So it's, yeah. you know, it's interesting. I did a podcast with a man named Aubrey Marcus on his podcast. He's very well known and he does a, a, a lot of different things, including as a fitness company and so on. And he loved Ramdas, So he wanted to talk to me on his show about his feelings around Ramdas and Ramdas's passing and all of it. And at one point, because he asked me about Neem Karoli Baba, you know, our guru, and and what that manifestation was like being around all of that. And then at one point he said, you know, my own, I, I can't say guru in this life, but leading light for me in this life was my mother, because she gave me unconditional love. And I said, Aubrey, no different. That thing there that you got is absolutely no different than when we were sitting with this being and having that unconditionality just in a pool that we could enter into. There is only one thing going on, you know. Yeah. And now you're the first two people that, that I've heard in a long time that had this to say about their family. I mean, it's not yeah, common. It's rare. You know, I used to I used to not talk about it because I... I didn't realize that that wasn't as common until I got to college and, and my roommate hated her mother. And I thought, oh. what? And oh. I, I couldn't fathom it. Right. And I was like, just deep listening to people and everyone around me had these issues. And I thought, Oh my God, I can't even fathom it. I, so I got quiet about it. You know, I kind of got quiet and I felt like I was in this little club by myself and I didn't want to, make people feel bad, you know, cause it's hard to have mudita around things like that. You know what I mean? Right. And so it was like, and then I've recently I've started talking about it because I think that it gives people permission because I got to tell you something. My mother did not have what she gave us. 
So it's not like really? love begets, begets love, right, begets right. love. No, she had a very rough situation. And, but yet she somehow said, I'm not going to do that. And she passed on so that all four of us felt like we were the most special person. And all of us felt that way and we looked and we loved each other. And it's just been like the best family one could ever imagine I come from. And I feel like she, so I feel like there's hope for any of us that didn't get that because she didn't get that, but yet she created that. And so we can make choices around mm. that, around what we do at our hearts and how we, how we want to and, and who we want to be in the world. It is, we think that there's no choice, but you know, and there's trauma and all that. And, and listen, I, I give total credence to the trauma. I mean, because the truth of the matter is that I can look at my life with the trauma in it. My family all died. My mother's gone, my father's gone, and my two brothers are gone. Just me and my sister left. And it was hard. It was really hard. Both of my brothers died in my arms. They were my best friends. Mm. And I can look at, and they died way too young. My family has this weird kidney disease that killed everybody. And so I can look at that and say, oh my God, look at how horrible my family, and everybody died. And yet, that's not the choice that I make. I look at, you know, I'd rather have, a sh I always think, do you want to have a short family with a lot of love, but it goes really quickly, or a long time with people that is not so good? And <laughs> so, you know, I got the goat short one. And, um, and I'm just grateful for it. And, um, and even in their dying, and especially in their dying, Is, was a gift in what I learned um, about my practice. Mm. And um, yeah, so I, you know, it's, 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 we all have hope to have love in our hearts. I believe that in spite of, in spite of everything that ha has happened to us. Yeah. Or in yeah. addition to. Yeah. 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 So, so back then when you were a youngster and, and growing up and, was it in Oakland? Did you grow up in Oakland? No, I grew up in Southern California oh. in a place uh, where we started in San Bernardino mm. and I moved out to a little oh. suburb outside of San Bernardino called Rialto. And that's where I grew up. Uh -huh. Yeah. So I always ask people that I haven't chatted with on the podcast before, what were the transformation points for you just in terms of being conscious there is a path, mm. as the Buddha said? There is a path and we can follow it and we can become free. When, when did all of that sort of get realized in you so that you actually took some one foot in front of the other steps? You know, when I think about that question, to me, I don't remember it not being. What I remember is when it went away hmm. and then came back. So I believe that, like as a kid, I was that kid that was in a trance, practically, you know? Um, I literally, like, I mean, I, I tell, I've only told people this a couple of times in a Dharma talk, but um, I was a kid, when I went to bed at night, I would actually turn into little particles. 
and be in the atmosphere and it was just this bigness and I always was this deep connection and then I kind of materialized back into my bed and and I never talked about it but it was this vastness and this connection and and um that stopped happening finally you know <laughs> you know luckily you grow up and you kind of but I always had this connection of a path and you know we grew up Baptist back in the day and I loved the church I loved it you know they introduced us to it and my parents did and then they everybody stopped going but me it was like okay I introduced you you could do your own thing and I would just drive myself at you know they gave me the car to drive myself to church when I, way before I should have been driving take the back roads and um I loved it I loved the spirit of it I loved the music I was in the choir um and then that changed for me you know it wasn't about that religion for me, but there was still, I was always connected. And um, the big thing is that I remember when I disconnected and, um, and, and that was when, you know, this relative world in 1967, my family moved from our little town in, Real in San Bernardino to a little tiny town called Rialto. And uh, we were the third black family in the whole town in 1967. And it wasn't pretty. It was really hard. And the things that was said to me and the way I was treated and I lost that. It's like somebody put the lights out and um, my lights went out and, um, and I disconnected. And, um, and I gotta tell you something, it was when I got to Berkeley where I went to college when I discovered Kundalini yoga. Um, I went into a Kundalini class. I had never done yoga before. <clears throat> and I go into this Kundalini class. And man, after such a rigorous workout and then laying there in Savasana, I felt that connection again. I felt that vastness that I am. And I got addicted to Kundalini Yoga and I went back and back and that brought my path back. So, but there were those years that were really dormant. Mm -hmm. And um, when racism was really what it was that separated me from, from myself. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of more my story. I feel like mm -hmm. I was always on the path. Yeah. Yeah. It was racism, racism mm -hmm. that separated me from myself. Talk about that. I don't, you know, cause that's not, uh, it's hard for people not of color to understand what that is. And that, that's a, you know, it's not, it's very, you know, the way it's internalized and what's happening to you inside, you know, can you just talk about that for a sec? Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, first of all, I was given a message at home that I was black and beautiful and could do anything I wanted to do. And you could be the first, you'd probably be the first black female president of the United States. I mean, that was my mother's story, right? So I was, I was, I was fed just so much positive reinforcement. And then I walk into a place that's just the opposite where the world, and my mother knew that, you know, she was savvy and older and knew that, you know, what we were getting fed at home was going to be different than what I was going to be fed in the world. And when you have that, you're ugly and you're this and you're that and all the things that, you know, actually, 
I was at the top of my class when I left my school in reading. I was always good in school and, you know, did school, loved school, did well in it. They, when I moved to Rialto, sixth grade, they put me back. There was no reason for that. I was in the class where the people who were more remedial. And I was like, oh, you know, and that was just what they did to me. And so I'm getting off of different messages in the world than I am at home. And so that was really quite, and so my mother just doubled down more and just continued to tell me, that is not who you are. You know who you are. And so um, the messages in the world are brutal. You know, racism is brutal. People don't know. I mean, white folks don't really understand what it's like. It's brutal. And, um, and I was young and impressionable and started questioning myself at a time when I was really confident. And I started to question myself and that internalizes that question. Am I good enough? Am I this? I never had that question. Am I good enough? Uh, people have that question. Am I good enough? I could never understand it. How can you have a question? Are you good enough? Of course you're good enough. And I, those questions started in my, in my head. And then, um, you know, so it, I, you know, my, the self-talk started to undermine me, my own self-talk, taking in what was happening in the external world. And so it took, again, the intensity of another internal world practice, internal practice like Kundalini, which took me to meditation, which took me to, into those practices that where I, again, felt deeply connected by who I really was. And knowing that, um, yeah, the difference between what was out there in the external world and what is really going on in this internal world. And so it was, it was um, you know, it's been, it's, and, and so I know the path, I know how challenging it is for folks of color in this world and young people, particularly when they are told, at, when they're given no chance, you know, when they're, their side of the world is there's no green spaces. There's no, um, there's nothing but the kind of this desolate, you know, kind of environment and, you know, liquor stores at every corner and that kind of a, of neighborhoods. And you're told that you're nothing and you're not going to be anything. You know, yeah. it's, yeah. that's the world that we live in. Yeah. And that's why I'm so passionate about being a part of, um, the awakening that we all need to have. Mm. Yeah. yeah. As a bit to end, how race has everything to do with it. Yeah. It has mm. everything to do with it yeah. in this country. Mm. Did I stop Boy, you? Yeah. Hey, no, no, no. Okay. I'm just like, uh, I, I'm, you know, just really hearing the way in which that kind of a thing just absolutely spins spins one out i mean you know we uh, the way in which we got spun out was you know as i mean me it was you know a father that was very despotic and i was rebelling and you know carrying all this anger around that he carried around and mother that wasn't well so those were the things that led me to wake up through various including psychedelics but um this is far more pernicious i mean you know everyone's suffering is su they're suffering yeah. comparing it is you know it yeah. gets you into a, a, a yeah. place that's not uh, productive uh but uh 
I, I just want to, if you don't mind, because I, I, I looked at one of your lectures from Spirit Rock, right? Oh. That you did recently, and it, it, it's something. So a lot of what I do on mind rolling is about sharing with people, just bringing down into a practical level just how to get your life it's somewhat in balance, right, and being able to move forward each day. Mm-hmm. So you did a, a talk that uh, I really loved. It's around the paramours, right? And um, before you got into the nature of that, which I, I do want to hear from you. Um, I love the, do you remember the bug story you told? No, kind of, but not really. Can you tell it to me? <laughs> the, there, I don't, I think it was a friend of yours you were with. I'm not sure who, but she wanted to save a bug that had a sting. Right. And when she went to save it, she would get stung. Mm-hmm. And then she try again, she got stung, but she finally managed to move it out, uh, get it away. And somebody mm-hmm. said, well, you know, why, why are you doing that? You're going to get, well, it's, she said, or you said, I can't remember who it was. It's just nature. It's the nature of the bug to sting. Yeah. It's the nature of a human to be good yeah. and try and help. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's a beautiful story. And it, and it, you know, uh, it says so much because, um, that's very difficult for us to stay in that. I mean, you're talking about a bug biting you and stinging you. Okay. You're immediately reactive, but how many times the way someone talks to you, the way someone looks at you that pulls you out of uh, natural goodness. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. It's not easy. It's not easy, you know, to, to um, not react and, react to our environments and to all that around us that, you know, that stings us. It's just not easy. And um, I do think that um, it is, that's the path right there. You know, that's almost the whole of the path right there. And, um, and I've forgotten that story and now I may use it again. I think I only used it that one time. I got to get more like Jack who, you know, he's got his patent story. Yeah, right. Yeah, I, I absolutely (laughs) do that. I'm a one-off. I'm a one-off. But yeah, you know, I think that that is the whole of the path. How do we stay in who we really are? How do we stay with and, and stay good regardless, even with life beating us up and having all of its all the duka 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 that happens how do we how do we you know how do we live through that and not be like the the worldly winds that sway you from one place to the other where how do we actually achieve this equanimity this place of equanimity that allows us to actually just hold everything you know and to you know to sway as little as possible but to really be that container that's holding it. And it's, mm. it's to me, when I think about the path and when I think about the Eightfold Path, when I think about all of what we're doing in um, the spiritual um, pursuit is to be able to have a life, to be able to have the kind of mind that will allow us to stay 
centered because we can't affect life. Life is going to happen. Things are going to happen to us. That is out of our control. But what is in our control is this, this mind that has a way of holding all of the ups and the downs, you know, the 10,000 joys and the 10,000 sorrows. Exactly. Can we hold it in a way so that we can still be, you know, still live in our hearts as much as we can? Yeah. Um, it just reminds me of something I was, um, we're doing a uh, memorial for Ramdas when I'm here on Maui. Uh, this will probably come out after it, but uh, it will be available to anybody, even if you didn't watch it live. Um, and I started thinking about the most important things that Ramdas transmitted that I wanted to talk about. And that was one of them. Well, his main thing of it's okay. We're human. You're going to have all of these dark motivations. You're going to have all of these emotional blah, blahs go on and feel like you're being captured by your, your self-involvement. But you got to just, it's okay. So all through, all through my relationship with him over many, many years, I remember one time I sat down for lunch with him in Santa Fe. We, we were on the board of a, together of the Taos uh, Hanuman Ashram that's in Taos. Beautiful, beautiful temple. Uh, the only one of Neem Karoli Baba in America. So I, there was some divisive stuff going on. And I said, Ram Das, geez, I wish we could just, we should just be family people. This is not, you know, this is, look at what, what we've been given. We should all be family. He said, he said to me, that's romantic. That's a romantic <laughs> thought. Uh, but how about just uh, being able to include everything in your, everything in your, in the circumference of your field, everything and yeah. the divisiveness the goodness, the, you know, the, the positivity and the negativity. And obviously the That's best right. ways I had hundred thousand beautiful visions and hundred thousand horrible. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. life and death, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's all part of the soup here and um, it's not going to change. <laughs> well, one of the things in terms of uh, you talked about was around what makes people whole. And there's a few prescriptions to that. Um, and the first one, so yeah, if you can just elaborate a little bit, but the first one was connection with our purpose. Now purpose can have different meanings related to, uh, uh, one is related to success, but that is not what I believe we're talking about. And then there's, you know, following one's dharma, which is more related to what we came here to really yeah. share. So yeah, talk about purpose a little bit. It's yeah, important. I, I, I just want to back that up and say that um, working with Greater Good Science Center out of um, UC Berkeley and, and Dr. Kelton, who um, has done amazing work. Um, this is coming from his work about what makes people whole all over the world, no matter oh, where really? they come from. Yeah. And there were the four pillars. We call it the four pillars. And it was, I, we kind of taken his work and put it into a four pillar context and saying that, you know, it's, um, yeah. And purpose was number one, right. Being, having, being, um, in, on purpose, um, with your life. And, and so 
I think that for me, I, what I can do is talk about my own ex- experience of purpose. My own experience of purpose has been um, really listening deeply to who I really am and to the voice that um, I don't think that I'm the only person on the planet that gets that actually gets this deep voice that, and I think what we do, we shut it down, we shut her down and we do something else. Um, purpose, we get so caught up with money that we think that money becomes our purpose. And that is where, um, that's, that's like the wrong turn that we've made when we, when we go towards money as purpose. Um, and, and yet that's kind of the, what we, what we've been fed that if you're not making money, you know, you got to make sure you do make money, make money, make money. But, um, and money is important. Don't get me wrong. You know, um, and, um, one's purpose is way deeper than that. And I think that I really, like I talk to college students often, I'll go into a course and, and I'm talking to them and, and I'm, I'm going to Northwestern actually in a couple of weeks and we'll be talking to some students there. And they always bring me in to talk to the entrepreneurial courses and things like that. And, and these little young entrepreneurs are like, you know, and, and oftentimes they're told that they should do this and they should do that. And, you know, I have the same message. It's like, listen to your gut, you know, just listen to your gut and your gut is your purpose. It'll, it'll be clear if you don't clog it up with all of the distractions that um, people lay on us that have everything to do with the practicalities of life, so, so to speak. I have not worked for anybody my whole life, but myself. I mean, I'm just that one, you know, and I'm now there's enough for everybody and other people, their purpose is working at the post office. And I love that. There's a postal lady that I go to and she loves her job. She's there with so much love and she welcomes everybody and blesses everybody. And I say, you know what, you are so on purpose. And it's really lovely to see that. And so I, there's no, you know, I don't have any kind of leaning towards anything other than to listen to one's heart and to see what one's purpose is. And, and we feel like, so often we feel like, um, I don't know why I'm here. I don't know why I'm here. And I think underneath that is, I know why I'm here, but I have another message that says, don't go there. And to do something different. I, I don't believe you don't know why you're here. Well, it's a lot of pressure from so many different forces to say. So much pressure, yeah. so mm-hmm. much pressure. And it's real and I get it yeah. and I get it. And, um, but how do, you, how do you balance it at least, you know? Mm-hmm. How do you balance it? I look at um, somebody in my family who's been at a county job, LA County her whole life, straight out of college and just retired after you know being 75 years old, 72 years old. And it's like, and just never liked it. Her whole life mm-hmm. just went, went by at the county, mm-hmm. you know, and didn't listen. Yeah. So anyway, I just say that, I think that, because that, um, that lights us up. It's like, I asked the question, what makes you come alive? You know, that, that Robert Thurman, you know, quote, that because the world needs those who are alive. So that question I asked them, what makes you come alive? when you don't know what your purpose is. Look at what makes you come alive. And, and people light up and they can say things that make them come alive, you know, but that's not, you know, a job or whatever it might be. Um, 
So maybe it's not a job, but make it central in your life somehow. You know, how can you balance it? But doing what makes you come alive is really important. Yeah, yeah. That's a great way to put it, too. Yeah. Really great. And the other things that you have, this uh, what makes people whole. So I, I love that this purpose and connecting with real purpose is at the top. And then you've got... Um, some of the things for, as far as I'm concerned, which really support getting there amongst other things, of course, connection to others. Yeah. Right. Uh, right. Generosity and compassion. Right. And as you said it, I believe connected to something greater than ourselves, even a, right. a feeling of awe. A know. feeling of awe. Yeah. That's right. And it could be, it could be the moment of seeing a flower open up. Hmm. You know, seeing the color purple, as Alice Walker says, you know, when you walk by and see a, and don't see the color purple, you know, and it's sitting right there in front of you, you know, and how much awe that gives you when you see it. Um, there's something way bigger than all of us. And when we connect to that, it's, um, yeah. Faith. It Faith happens when we connect with that, as far as I'm yeah. concerned. Yeah. Um, and but all of this is is also reflective of how important sangha is satsang mm. for the hindus same thing community of like-minded people and you know we always talk about how the buddha when he was asked what's the most important refuge you know and That's he right. said the sangha yeah the sangha. And, and boy are you know we of course are finding that out big time not that we didn't know it or anything i mean we've been ramdas has started all of that uh, the idea of the support of satsang sangha as an integral way on the path a long, long time ago. But when yeah. he left and, all, and another very close, his close Indian brother and our, one of our mentors left three weeks later, K.K. Shah, um, boy, do you really know people came over to where I was, you know, satsang, and we sat together, it just naturally occurring, you know. It wasn't, hey, I'm going to handle this on my own, kind of, you know. <laughs> that is not natural. It's, it's not, not it's natural, not. just like our it's goodness not. is natural. Yes. Uh, and as you say, you know, we are relational. We are relational. And, we are and that's relational. how we support each other. You know? That's exactly so, right. Yeah. That's exactly right. And, yeah. and that's who we really are. And it's... It's wonderful when we, but you know, our message in this country, the rugged individual and, you know, and yeah. hyper individualism is at the root of our separation. And I'm always talking about going from me to we, you know, this meanness is really lonely and it's, and it's not even true, yeah. <laughs> you know, because we, we, we do everything we can to try to make me true yeah. when yeah. we yeah. is what's true, yeah. right? Yeah. That's, that's the truth of it. And so yeah. when we go from me to we and, and just relax into the we-ness, yeah. um, sangha. Yeah. sangha. Yeah. Um, interestingly that you brought this up, I'm working on a book about just that, from me to we. Are you? For, yeah, with, with a friend of mine. And uh, we've just been talking about it, using ourselves as examples of how you know, the development of the habitual patterns and the neurotic tendencies and how they enliven this great story that we're constantly involved with. Actually, Krishnadas, uh, it, it was his little, he, he prompted me because he used to talk about in his talks, you wake up in the morning to the movie of me. 
you know, yeah. you're the star, you're the producer, you're the director, the writer, and it goes on 24 seven. Okay. And, and then I think of Ram Dass in this movie, Becoming Nobody that, that's out there, uh, how he said, you know, when, when is what I want enough? When is what, you know, I need enough? It's much more interesting to see about helping somebody else than just to constantly think about yourself all the time, which is, the, of course, uh, the great thing around service and so on. So I, we, I mentioned the, uh, the 10 paramis, the 10 perfections that come from the Buddha. And I think I just like to run through them. Some of them are, are, are really obvious, but maybe we could just get you to ex explicate a little bit. Uh, and now, of course, generosity, we just talked about that. Um, and morality and harmony all makes sense. Then we get to one called renunciation. Okay. Now, now suddenly, as soon as you say renunciation, everyone backs off. Okay. It's either, okay, this is stuff. I can't do this. I can't even sit for five minutes, never mind, you know, and <laughs> do a little renunciation of that self-talk. I can't do that. Never mind, you know, <laughs> right? So, but that's not what it's about. And uh, it's about letting go of clinging, which you mentioned. And that's the grand recipe, uh, I mean, of the Buddha is around that. Yes. Talk about how, how do we get people not to react so much about renunciation? because it is a truism. We are doing that. We need to do that. I mean, need is a shit word too, but we, we really have to embody something that allows us to, to be able to be comfortable enough and feel safe enough to, to just let go of, of, uh, of the kind, you know, all of the clinging that we do in a moment to moment yeah. basis. Yeah. That's good one. I mean, I think that is like, as we know that, you know, when we look at the Four Noble Truths, you know, that's um, at the core of it, right? That's, that's the prescription that the Buddha gave us. That it's the clinging is what causes our the dukkha, all of our suffering and, 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 and letting go is possible. Um, you know, um, peace within ourselves is possible and, and gave us a, a recipe of how to do that. And so, the letting go to clinging is at the core, at the core of if we if we really just go back and back and back to I'm suffering, something suffering within me. And if I trace it back, 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 there's something that I'm either clinging to or pushing away. And though and not accepting what is in some way. And so um, that renunciation is a very difficult one. And it requires, and I, I call it the thinning of the self, you know, like we have these thick selves of who I am. And, you know, this is, Kanda is all these things. And it's really this thickness of my thoughts and how I think about things and my, you know, uh, you know, my views and my perceptions and everything about me. And as we start to thin the self, it's almost like I feel it like, a, you know, as we do practice and we start to carve away some of this that we understand that we actually are not even a noun, we're more of a verb, that we are really that which is moving and changing constantly. There's nothing really solid here, right? 
And as we start to understand that there's really nothing so solid here and we're really more of a verb than we are this noun and we start thinning the self and, and the renunciation of that kind of letting go, really, it's just, it, 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 it is so transformative. And that is how I experience it as that just thinning and thinning, like taking a layer and another layer and a layer of all this unneeded meanness, you know, my wantingness, my, my neediness, who I amness. You know, I, 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 just yesterday I had this meme, but you know, it's, not, it's not unique, but I, yesterday I was wanting something so bad. What was it? It was something that was really, I wanted something really badly. And I said, and when I caught myself, I said, not me, not mine, not I, Conda. Not me, not mine, not I. And when I do that, I go, right. It's not me, it's not mine, it's not I. I can let that go. I can stop clinging and renounce whatever that is that I want. And so that's my personal meaning. But um, that's what I think it takes. We have to just start looking at who do all these things that we think we are when we really see that it's it's floating and changing i mean i'm not even the same person i was when we started this call you know there's some cells have changed and everything <laughs> moved and and yet we take ourselves as this thick thing and so i do believe that if we can start looking at ourselves as um and really this is we're not making it up we really are changing all the time yeah. and if we can actually accept that then we can start to renunciate, I think. Mm. Yeah, Buddha didn't make this stuff up. Come on, everybody. No. He did not. Okay. No, it was empirical. No. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, oh, by the way, uh, you ever hear Sharon talk about, like when you just said, come on, Conda. I mean, let's get, you know, whatever you just said about relating right, right. with uh, a desire. She yeah. has a name. Did you ever hear that? She no. calls herself it? Lucy. Lucy, oh, that's her yeah. other person. Yeah. <laughs> that's so great. Eh? <laughs> I love uh, it. Uh, Lucy. Sharon. Yeah. Poor Lucy. <laughs> yeah. It's okay, Lucy. You'll be yeah. okay. It's okay. Don't yeah. hang on that tight. It's okay. That's right. No, yeah. renunciation is really it. And also, I mean, you know, when we could think of ourselves as a going back to the awe, going back to something bigger than mm. ourselves, going back to that, right? Going back to understanding um, that um, there's just this incredible life force that, you know, makes the world go round and the stars come out and the seasons and everything, we're all a part of this life force. And we're just a little part of it. And, you know, and we're not the king and queens of it either, quite as kept. Um, we're not. No, I no, thought no, we were. no, take off your crown, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to, I'm working on it, let me tell you. So a couple other things in the uh, perfections and perfections. I kind of grouped these two together. Uh, I, I think that somehow there's a way in which if you can unite them, energy and patience, okay? So certainly one needs to have uh, when you realize i mean people aren't going to do nothing until you're suffering right we are suffering right. and then we are going to uh, be at least open to the possibility of what can be what can come what grace can come through to set yeah. us out to transform that suffering yeah. and 
and certainly that's an energy to get that in you and go, okay, I'm going to move forward here because I, I want to change. I want just at the basic level, I want to be happy. So energy is there. And then patience, understanding what you have been just saying, this is not permanent. Everything is changing. I'm not the same as I was when we first started chatting. So this energy and patience, I think that they go together. What, what do you think? Yeah, I think you just said it brilliantly. Really, you just described it. I think you're right. Um, they do go together. I mean, um, I, I, I don't think I could say it any better than what you said. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I should be interviewing you, man. Yeah. <laughs> Mike. <laughs> Uh, I'm saying this too because I have I am deficient in patience myself. Yeah, and it is something you know. Uh, there is some clinging I have to some mm -hmm. um, projection of this is how to get stuff done. Kind of you know mm -hmm. the male aggressive aggression force, and um, to think. For me to be able to say to myself, okay, this this is not going to be here two minutes from now. It's going to be, yeah. or one second, it's going to be completely different, is, is so important uh, to be able yeah. to just relax a little bit. So I love the yeah. patience idea, although I'm, honestly, it's been a difficult path for me. I think most people, it's funny because right now I'm on a WhatsApp group with a group of, about, I don't know, there's about 30 of us on this WhatsApp group, all in teacher training, in Dharma teacher training. And everybody on this WhatsApp group right now, it's really fun. They're saying like, okay, this is the subject is paramis. What are you good at? And what do you need more work on? Really? Which one are you best at? And which one do you need more work on? And I'm telling you, the more work is on patience, almost all of really? <laughs> patience. Patience is, is, has shown up more than any other one patience wow okay that made me feel better yeah, yeah. It's, we're it's, in it together then we're in it together i mean we live in a society that is just go 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 and you know again we're trained in this way and and um, you know my mom was famous for saying you know this too shall pass this too shall pass and um uh, yeah this too shall pass yeah and then we have uh, another couple that i I think go together quite well. Truthfulness and loving kindness, which, which reflects, of course, how Neem Karoli Baba said to Ramdas, "Love, every, tell the truth and love everyone." He said, "I can't do that because I do not love everyone." And of course, Maharaji was coming from the one, not the little guy that can't do this stuff, coming yeah. from the place who we truly are. But that is um, being able to tell the truth and love. And uh, yeah. enact loving kindness in the same moment in your own experience. How have you managed to yeah. traverse that path? Well, I think when I think of truthfulness, I think of the two truths. You know, in our tradition, there's the two truths, which is there's the universal and there's the relative world. We live in the universal and we live in the relative. And they both are true and equally true. And we tend to think that, um, we like to think at times that the universal is really who we are. We're one, we're just one. And, 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 and what that does is gets rid of the other truth of the relative because the relative can be very hard to deal with, right? And so um, oftentimes also what we'll do is that we will use the relative 
as I mean, the, the universal truth as a way of answering the relative. But, you know, all these terrible things may be happening to people, but, but we're all one. And, and that is what I call spiritual bypass, right? And so I think that there are the two truths. And when I think of truthfulness and what I think that, that um, the Buddha is, is referring to, it, it's the true truths, that they both live in each other that within the relative, the universal lives within the relative and the relative lives within the universal. And so it's, it's almost like the yin and yang, there's a piece of each one inside. And so um, that is really the truth of existence. It is this relative world, there's this computer that I am on right now and you're there and I'm here and all these things are happening. And, and, you know, um, and then there's this universal aspect of all, life and and so i think that when we bring loving kindness into both the truth both truths the relative and the universal um that's when our hearts open when we're able to do that then i think we don't have to do the bypass and we're able to live in the truth of the relative which is difficult it's difficult um not all the time but it is difficult a lot and, and that's why loving kindness is such an important ingredient that we can um, keep our hearts open, keep our hearts open and not have to just jump to um, a universal because within the universal, um, it's so easy to just say everything's fine. And, um, you know, and it's not always like that. Yeah. And it goes back to, again, being able to in, embrace both the hundred thousand beautiful visions and the hundred thousand yep. horrible ones. And yep. uh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. The other one that I, I want to discuss a little bit, it's the last one, it's equanimity. Mm. Uh, ability to hold it all without judgment, yeah. with balance, right? Yeah, I love equanimity. Yeah, I mean, boy, oh boy, oh boy. I mean, I have been... I don't know if it's what's been happening this last six weeks with all of the loss and, and so on. Uh, I had health issues as well. I really, I really had, a, I've had a tough time, as you know, because I completely messed up twice our get together. Right? I wasn't going to say, say anything about that. I wasn't okay. going to tell anybody. Right. I, what can I do? Whatever. I, yeah. But um, here we are. I think the, uh, there's a certain level of sensitivity that happens with suffering that gets yeah. you deeper and deeper and much more aware of all of your motivations and all of the, the clinging and all of the attachment to me, me-ness, me, me land. Yeah. So it's, yeah. So I have been watching most especially the judgmental mind and mm. seeing exactly how, boy, if anything puts you into a polarized place, more than absolutely anything, of course, is this judgmental mind. Talk about that a little bit. Oh, gosh. Yeah, that's a hard one, the judgmental mind. I mean, and then we judge the judging, you know. When we're trying to get out of the judging, we start judging the fact that we're judging. And circular, Jesus. It's circular, yeah, yeah. Again, um, going back to how do we go from a judging mind to equanimous mind to that which is that. Um, and, and that's why mindfulness, I, I just have to say, the practice. That's why the practice is so important, you know. I go back to practice. 
And what mindfulness practice does is just kind of allows you, it allows one to see one's own habits of mind, you know, because we're so caught in it. We're so in it that we're, we are it as opposed to, um, you know, watching it. And mindfulness is just the antidote for so many things, uh, not for everything. I mean, it's not, you know, but I got to tell you, when it comes to these kinds of questions that you're asking me, a real mindfulness practice really allows, it slows things down. It allows us to see, it allows us to, 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 to watch what's, our pattern of our mental patterns and creates a gap between reacting and 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 the stimulus and reaction and in that gap is where we get to choose we get our freedom we get to be able to see and and even laugh at ourselves you know and even laugh there you go again there you go again and so I just have to say that mindfulness honestly the practice is what is leads us to help us with being non-judgmental and and having that mind that is um, of of equanimity? It's um, it really actually works. You know, I know everybody talks about mindfulness this and mindfulness this, like it's you know it's the, it's the popular flavor of the month, but it actually works. You know, I can't even imagine myself without my practice. You know, like how do you negotiate this world? That's, you know, I don't know how people negotiate this world without some kind of practice. It doesn't have to be mindfulness, but something that is going to, you know, be kind of truth-telling um, and, and, and loving. And so that said, I, I know that my practice has everything to do with it. And I just say, you know, sit. That's very helpful. I just... I just I did a uh, introduced uh, I introduced uh, Ramdas talks in a podcast called Ramdas Here and Now, and at one point in this last thing he said, I was always looking forward to meditation. It was a chance to sit down and shut up, you know, <laughs> just get down to it, right? Just it's a chance sit to down sit down and shut up. And it's and so the true. Other, and the other great practice before mindfulness was any kind of, uh, you know pop word shall we say his right. thing was around the witness with basically mindfulness right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and encouraging people to yeah, to, uh, to witness. witness to be the witness but very yeah. difficult also because boy you can the ego can grab that on and and be the the judge and jury witness which is not what we're talking about either in using his particular thing right. which, uh, or mindfulness and that's why I love his uh, his lay his thing that he talked about most in the last few years was around loving awareness and moving your mm. perspective into mm-hmm. your spiritual heart and co- and being able to to witness this incarnation with love and humor yeah. is what is is what his big things were. So that's so important. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Crucial. Yeah. I agree. And I think that, you know, that it's right here, it's easy, it's just it's not easy to do, but it, I mean, we have everything we need just ourselves and, you know, a little space of quiet. And, um, and, and if we can make that a habit, um, it's, it's powerful. Yeah. It's really powerful. Yeah. 
a life in balance is possible. We all know that. So, totally. Yeah. But there's so much. I need to do a few more podcasts with you, Kanda. I mean, <laughs> we want to talk about, here's some of the different things Kanda talks about, activism, racism, and the spiritual path, social justice, next economy. I mean, you are something else. That's all I got. Permacultural design you've been involved Permaculture. in. Permaculture. Right. See, that's my most favorite thing to talk about is soil and the earth. I love that. I mean, it's a, it's, it is, it is, you know, it is all life right there. All life is based on soil and what is in that soil. And, and so um, I, I think that it's so important for us to have the opportunity that's why I look at, again, I go back to, I go back to neighborhoods where there's no green spaces and it's just cement. Mm -hmm. And then you see people and in, in under conditions, not that, that, I was just, that, that, that separation is so cruel mm -hmm. because it's the, within the soil and touching the earth is, is all of, all wisdom is there yeah. and so many of us don't have that opportunity you know i was listening to um something on on ah i have been amy goodman this morning and um a woman was in new york in san francisco changing a rule in prisons that men have to be able to see the sun at least once a week they will go in solitary and spend years not ever seeing the sun. How is that anything? How, how, how is that possible that we can do that? Not seeing the sun. And she's, she's right now creating a, a something, a city, a, a, trying to get that passed in San Francisco that that has to stop. And so right now, temporarily, they're doing one week, one hour a day, which is huge, one hour a day to see the sun. Oh, my. My, my, yeah. my. Yeah, so I mean, you know, we, we, we I'm sorry, but I'm, I'm just, um, I am, I'm like, uh, I am truly, believe that i know what the earth we are just earth we are earth we are earth standing and walking and talking and and making decisions and the elements are all important to our beingness and when we are not in touch with them uh, when we live in the concrete jungle um, it has repercussions yeah well Thank you so much for yeah. all of this, Conda. And, and everybody, by the way, you're going to go to uh, BeHereNowNetwork.com, Mind Rolling, and you're going to see uh, in the show notes all of the different uh, links to different things mm. that Conda is involved with. And uh, it, we're going to make it easy for you. And uh, other than that, again, I want to thank you for being here, Conda. And yeah. Everybody, this is Mind Rolling, and we shall see you next week.
Thanks so much. I'm happy to be here. Take care. Thank you.